quickly, but we're in Judges chapter 3. We're talking this morning as we started a new series in the book of Judges, and remember where we left off this morning. We're talking about this period of time when Israel had all kinds of difficulties. Israel through the whole book is going to be in this perpetual cycle where they rebel against God's leadership, God's theocracy, God's ruling over their life. So God uses the Canaanites, those who are still left in the land that they were to get rid of, God uses them as a thorn in the flesh, as he mentioned in Judges chapter 2, to form uh, chastisement, to bring them to an end of themselves. The Jews respond time and time again. They pray to the Lord and they say, God, please deliver us from these enemies. Help us to enjoy all your blessings. So God raises up a judge, and we're going to see a number of these different judges that show up, that God lifts up, uses them to help Israel to throw off, or should I say some of the tribes of Israel, to throw off some of the bondage and some of the oppression that they're experiencing. There's going to be a period of rest after each one of these judges where they're enjoying freedom. But then what happens is they go back to rebellion, go back to their paganism, go back to their, their falling and not following the Lord. And so this cycle repeats itself a dozen times or so throughout the book of Judges. And so what I would like to do this evening, since it's such a small section and it's very convenient to do it, I'd like to talk about the first judge. He's found in Judges chapter 3. There's not much written about him. He's one of those characters that most of us don't even hear of. Don't even, we, we hear about the Deborahs, we hear about the Gideons, we know about the Samsons. But Othniel is one of those forgotten characters. He kind of shows up and then all of a sudden he's gone, he's off the page. His entire story is just in a handful of verses we read in Judges chapter 3, jump down to verse 9. It says, well, let me, let me get the context. Let's back up to verse 5. The children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, and they took their daughters to be their wives and gave their daughters to their sons and served their gods. The children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and forgot the Lord their God and served Balaam and the groves. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of Chushan, Rishan, king of Mesopotamia. You can read it. Okay. And the children of Israel served that big name for eight years. And when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer to the children of Israel who delivered them, even Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. The spirit of the Lord came upon him and he judged Israel, went to war, and the Lord delivered him from big name, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand, and his hand prevailed against big name. And the land had rest for 40 years, and Othniel, son of Kenaz, died. Not much there. Not much there. What we know is that they've got a problem. We know that all of a sudden they're under severe distress. It's coming from the north. It's the land between the two rivers. That's what Mesopotamia basically means. They, this is going to happen because they're rebelling against God. They're not following. So God allows the invaders to come in from the northern area. And they're being led by this one fellow who is a real bad dude. In fact, his name, when you read it in, the, in some of the ancient language, he means double trouble. He means double wickedness. Whoever gave him that name, we don't know. But they assign this name to him because he's not only a problem, he's a double problem. Basically, his name means two hands of wickedness. And so he's got this reputation that he's not just a bad dude, but he's a doubly bad dude. And he is leading the oppression, and the oppression lasts for a period of eight years. That the Jews are under his foot, they're under his bondage, they're under his wickedness. It's at that time that we already read that the Jews will cry unto the Lord. They come, they repent, God's anger is against them, but they want his mercy. And in mercy and in grace, God raise up, raises up Othniel and asks him to be the, the, the judge, to help deliver the Jews for a period of time. We don't know a whole lot about this guy. 
What type of guy is it that God would raise up, that God would use? Othniel's a really unusual character. Now he's going to, in the first, in the in chapter 3, we're going to be introduced to three different judges, very little about each one, and they're so different from one another. Looking at Othniel tonight. Next week we'll look at Lefty when he lets, the, you know, the day Lefty let Fatty have it. That's next Sunday morning's message. That's in the next account. But right here, Othniel, this fella, what happens to him? Who is he? Why did God choose this guy? Here's what we know about him. Here's what we can surmise. He's a fellow of good character. Unlike most of the judges, there's no information, nothing negative stated about him. It seems like very positive things said about him, that he's got good characteristics, good character. In fact, he comes from a really good family. So in that time period, in that age, he would be one that you would want to pick because his family traits, his family characteristics, he's the brother or the son of Caleb's brother. When you go to chapter 3 and you go to chapter 1 and compare the passage. One says he's Caleb's younger brother. The other says that he is the son of Caleb's younger brother. Which one it is, the Hebrew is not clear. That's why that's translated both ways. And so he comes, somehow he's related by either being a younger sibling or he's a nephew of Caleb. And so he comes from a family that if they would hear for the very first time, this is the judge, this is the deliverer, it would inspire them because it's a guy who has family family clout. The Jews would rally to this fella. They would say that he knows how to do a battle because they would remember Caleb. Caleb was the one who stood with Joshua, one of the only two uh, spies that said, we can take them. Don't worry about the giants, we can do it. Caleb in chapter 1 is the one who says to the rest of the people in the tribe of Judah, he says, let me go out. I'm going to lead you into battle. And he leads them. And he conquers a couple different cities. You read about it in Judges chapter 1 where all of a sudden he's going along and moving and then he comes to another city the city of Deber, and he says, okay, I'm a little bit tired. Who's going to lead the battlefield in front of me? That's, his, that's, that's where we hear about this fellow and his faith. In fact, we sing a song. Caleb's that one that says, I want this mountain. I want that mountain that God has given me. Caleb's the one who says, give me the mountains. Give me the mountain height where they are entrenched, where those Anakim, those giants are. I'll go up there and I'll take them, and he does. So when his younger brother or nephew is picked by God, well, people would respond and say, hey, He's the type of guy we would follow. Good guy, family life, you know, as far as good family trait, he would be one that would inspire confidence. Something that is really strong is characteristic of this guy, of Othniel, is like his uncle or his older brother, he's got a lot of faith. Go to chapter 1 with me. Watch what happens in chapter 1. Again, not a lot of details, but just enough to help us go. It says, verse 10, Judah, the tribe, went against the Canaanites and dwelt in Hebron. Now the name of Hebron before was Kerjath Arba. And they slew Sheshai, Ahiman, and Talmai. And from thence they went against the inhabitants of the town or the city of Deber. The name of Deber before was kerjath Sefer. And Caleb said, He that leads the troops besides me, he that smites kerjath Sefer and takes it, to him will I give my daughter, Aksha, Aksa, to be the wife. And Othniel, the son of Kenaz, younger, Caleb's younger brother, he took the troops and led them, and he took the city. Now remember where we were this morning? In order to take the city for the Jews to to do this, a city that was entrenched, a city that could be filled with Anakim, the giants in the land. What does that tell you about Othniel? Just like we said this morning, he had faith. His weaponry was trusting in the Lord and making the Lords to be the one who would guide and direct. So here he comes. Years later, we read about him, and he's a character that they already have heard about. He has gone on the battlefield. Through faith, he has conquered, and he has military experience. We just 
God. We just read it. He's an individual who has conquered, who has dealt with the enemy before. So when we're talking about somebody that is going to, the very first time, inspire the people to come and go to battle, this is the guy you would pick. It makes perfect sense. God's choosing him. Somebody of good family quality, somebody of good characteristics, somebody with, with faith, somebody who is of experience. But we also look at he's a man of real humility. He has one characteristic that stands out that's amazing, that's kind of sub-story here is what happens next. Caleb has said, whoever takes the city, leads the troops, and goes into battle has enough faith or guts, if we'd say it, step out in faith, he's going he's gonna to give him his daughter as the reward. Well, he, uh, we have Othniel going, he defeats the enemy, and he gets Aksa to be his daughter. Watch what Aksa says to him, if you go to the next verse. And it came to pass, when she came to Othniel, that she moved him or pressed him to ask of her father for more. You see, you see, hubby, you have done such a good job, I think you des- deserve more. Let's ask my dad for more land. Let's ask my dad for more tribute. Let's ask my dad for more rewards because you are such an outstanding character. You are such a heroic figure. My dad won't deny you, and I think we should have more property here. Now, her desire for more property, you can think whatever you want about that. You can think whatever, but here's where you've got a, a display of humility. Notice the next phrase. She is pressing him to go and say, I deserve more. He doesn't. He doesn't go to his father-in-law and say, give me more reward. Maybe he thinks, I've had reward enough with this woman. I don't know. I don't know, but look at the next phrase. It says in the next phrase that when she came and was riding the donkey, the ass, she comes to Caleb and he says, what will you have? It's she or her is the one that's going to ask for it. She said unto her dad, give me a blessing for you. I've given me a south land. Give me also the springs of water. And Caleb gave unto her the upper springs and the nether springs. It's not her husband who is saying, I deserve more. She thinks so, and she gets it from her dad, but he doesn't. He's not going to say, hey, look at me. I'm the hero. You, do, you need to give me more. No, the deal was, this is what I was owed. I'm perfectly content with this, and this is, this is all I'm asking, and despite my wife's pressure, I'm not going to ask for more. Why? I don't think I deserve any more. I don't think that I have to take advantage of what, what successes I've had. We'll just leave it where it's at. I've, I've gotten what I've gotten. I think there's a display of humility. Now, I don't know what their marriage, the rest of their marriage was life, like. Okay, we don't know anything about that. But also, I think that's here, that another display of this guy's characteristic is his submissive spirit. His spirit of submission. How do I know that? Because in chapter 3, when we come back to years later, which, by the way, from chapters 2 to chapter 3, when we go in from the beginning of the book of Judges until this time, most scholars say there's 30 years. There's 30 years that take place. So this fellow, 30 years later, he sees that there is, going, there is an enemy coming into the territory. He's a man of faith. He's a man of military experience. But his submission is this. He's not moving until God has clearly led him to be moved. He's waiting on the guidance of God in his life. That God is saying, it's time. I'm going to move. I'm going to take off. As well, he is willing to move when God says, I want you to be the leader. I want you to take the troops and go in. Now remember, there's been no judge. 
There's been nothing happening. They've been defeat after defeat after defeat for the last 30 years. The last eight years, they've been overrun by the Mesopotamians in this region. And so there's not been any success. He's waiting, he's waiting. And when God says, now is the time, he's willing to do it. He's willing to do it despite eight years of occupation. He's willing to do it despite the military advantage of the Mesopotamians. They are better warriors historically. They are stronger. They are able to to quell the, the rebellion, if they would, from a human point of view. But they don't understand how faith would work and how God would intervene. If you put into this whole story, this fellow's not a young man anymore. I don't know how old he was when he led the troops at Deber. We have no clue. If he is Caleb's younger brother, and if that's the case, he was probably one of that younger generation who, had, uh, who was under 21. Remember, everybody else, when they marched through the wilderness, everybody else was dying in the wilderness. Okay, so he's got to be under 21, but there was 40 years of wandering at least. How old he was at the beginning of those 40 years, we don't know. But then there's another 30 years that's added in the book of Judges. He's at least in his mid-70s, if not into his 80s. And God says, you lead the troops into battle. Most 80-year-olds are not wanting to go out and fight a battle, okay? And at that point, if they are, we're scared of them, okay, just because of, you know, the state of mind. He is willing to do it. He's willing to lead troops. He's willing to get the troops together. This is serious stuff. They're in occupied territory. And despite his advanced age, he is saying, God, I will do what you want me to do. He goes out, leads the attack, and he wins the battle. Throws off the yoke of bondage. And they have a period of rest beyond his period, or his lifetime as well. It says 40 years. It was such a successful campaign. There's nothing. Nobody bothers him for 40 years. What an amazing character. What an amazing man. Now you come and say, okay, what, what do we learn about this guy? What, what do we take from this? Well, it's obvious he's qualified. He's a qualified judge. By our standards of picking leadership and picking people we would follow, we would say he's qualified. And he's one that we would respect and we would follow him. Okay? And, and that's, that's really good. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I think one of the lessons that we look at is saying, okay, this, despite his qualifications, there is something here that makes him successful that we haven't even looked at yet. And it's this phrase. Despite all of his skill set, despite everything that he has as far as his success and his skill and his family influence, the reason that he's successful is found in verse 10. In verse 10. Did you read it? Did you see it? What is it? The Spirit of the Lord came upon him. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him. He is successful because of the Spirit of God coming upon him. Now, I know that the Spirit of the Lord coming upon people in the Old Testament is different than the Spirit of the Lord coming upon people today. I understand that. I know the theology. I know that in the Old Testament there wasn't the filling of the Spirit like we have today. They were filled with the Spirit. They were empowered by the Spirit when there was a special need. And it came upon individuals at a time of a need. We are so much more blessed than those people. We have the Spirit of God dwelling in us and upon us when... The moment we get saved until until we get up into heaven. 
The Spirit of God is within every one of us. Now the question is, what about the filling of the Spirit? What about the control of the Spirit? What about the Spirit having us? We have Him, but does He have us? And so in the New Testament when we talk about the filling of the Spirit, it is basically a yieldedness to the Holy Spirit. It is a surrender to the Holy Spirit. It is then that He enhances abilities. It is then that He helps us. And then He enables us to be able to do His ministries. And so here we have a lesson. I think the big lesson is this. As we look through, we need to develop good skills and character. We understand that. We know that. We understand how important it is in church leadership for deacons, pastors. We understand that. Even for those who would teach, we understand the importance that they be individuals who are sober, individuals who have the godly example, individuals that, that can, you know, are apt to teach, able to teach, to have the skill sets. We understand that. We know that. Some of the young men are talking about the possibility if the Lord would ever lead them into ministry, then they've got to get trained. They've got to be able to teach. They have to be able to study and know and to be able to handle the Word of God. That's so important. We understand that's the important thing. But we need more than all the training and all the abilities and all the skill set. We need most to rely upon the filling of the Holy Spirit. In fact, is it possible that sometimes those of us who are gifted or have abilities that it's a curse to us to have abilities and talents because we don't rely upon the Lord. And so here the lesson I think from Othniel is really, really clear. Othniel, you are a classic example and a good illustration for us to say, wait a minute, despite all the skill set, you needed the filling of the Spirit. You needed that Spirit's guidance and the Spirit's working in your heart. You and I need to make sure that we keep away from anything and everything that would disrupt that filling of the Holy Spirit in our life. When we go to the New Testament, we find out that we are commanded to let the Spirit take over our life, control our life, guide our speech, guide our decisions, guide our, our reactions, actions, our choices, our purity. We read in passages where it talks about don't grieve the Spirit. In that text that he talks about not grieving the Spirit, making him come to a point where he's brokenhearted. Again, God's emotions, that God has anger, that God has grief or heart, heartache, when his children would hurt him, grieve him, such as in that passage, is the passage that talks about, be kind one to another, forgiving one another. Let no anger, no, no bad communication proceed out of your mouth. Grieve not the Spirit in that way, in attitude, in conversation, in anger towards others. We understand when he says, don't quench the Spirit, in Thessalonians. In that passage where he says, don't quench or put out the zeal of the Spirit, that when he's talking about it, on one side of it, he is he saying, hey, wait, don't, he says, do all things with thanksgiving without complaining. Can we quench the spirit by having a complaining spirit? Apparently. Can the other side of that passage, it says, don't quench the spirit, but rather receive the word of God. Can we quench the spirit when the spirit of God is using the word to speak to us, to challenge us, to convict us, to move us into some area, some direction? Yeah, we can do that. Don't quench the Spirit. We read as well that we have to be careful. We don't hinder the Spirit by giving Him an unclean vessel. Thessalonians talks about how we don't want to give the Spirit a dirty vessel to be used, one that would, would be impurity. We don't want to hinder the Spirit by unconfessed sin. We don't want to hinder the Spirit by not forgiving somebody who has offended, to, uh, offended us in some way. We don't want to hinder the Spirit by when He guides, He leads, He directs us in some different area of ministry of our life. We don't want to hinder the Spirit that way. We want to be yielded to the Spirit. We want to have a, a, a heart that says, I am 
going to be spirit-filled, spirit-led, spirit-guided. That's Othniel. For all of his skill set, for all of his talents which were abundant, he needed the filling of the Spirit. For all your abilities, for all your gifts, and so many of you are so gifted, you are, you are so talented, you are so experienced in many ways, you still need the filling of the Holy Spirit. We must rely upon that Spirit time and time and time. Day after day, despite our experiences, we need that the Spirit be upon us in the sense that we are filled by the Spirit. We have been dwelling, but is the Spirit in control? Is He going to be in control at school tomorrow? By the way you respond to some of the pressure. Is he going to be in control when you go to work and have the pressure? Is the spirit going to be in control? Melissa shared a prayer request this morning that they're starting a, a group of some of the, some of the uh, workers at the school having a prayer time. Okay, now they're getting pressure. They're getting kickback. That they're meeting earlier before they start their job to have a prayer time. If they're going to remain filled with the spirit, they can't respond in a bad attitude because of the pressure. Okay? It's so important that they remain filled with the Spirit. You who are trying to give out the Word of God, remain filled with the Spirit. You who are at work trying to be a good testimony to your co-workers, and things don't go right. Customers come in, they give you a hard time. Make sure you remain filled with the Spirit of God. The filling of the Spirit is so critical. I am so thankful that we have several who are very obviously filled with the Spirit. And I want us to take this evening to have a time where we can thank the staff, the assistant pastors, as I mentioned earlier, to just thank them for their ministries. You often say thank you to me. Don't do that to this evening. Focus on those guys. Let them know. But I especially would like you to focus on the Kilcup family this evening.